TuxJam, combining Linux news with Creative Commons goodness. Hello and welcome to uh, episode 104 of TuxJam. My name is Dave and I wasn't here the last time that the guys got together to record, so I am being punished by introducing this particular episode. So, those punishing me this time around are, as always, Kevy. Hi, Kevy. Hello, hello. I'm kind of recovering off after a head cold, so unfortunately I'm not on any beer tonight. But, uh, oh. yeah, I managed to make it. <laughs> and also we have Andrew this evening as well. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Sorry, I was a bit distracted there. I was oiling the Iron Maiden uh, to put you in. But apparently your punishment is only having to introduce the show, so I guess uh, we won't need that. Only? Okay, interesting. On our episode this time around, uh, we have a number of things to cover off. We're going to be reviewing a distro regatta OS. We're also going to be reviewing the Android application called LibreTube, or LibreTube. And we've got a number of things to follow up on. I'm sure we've got some feedback. We have had a pod crawl since the last time we were all together. So let's crack on straight away then and go into our regular review of DistroWatch. So who am I going to pick on today? Ooh, Kevy, what have you found on DistroWatch this time around? I have a deep affinity with this one. Uh, but new distro release, Fat Dog 64900. So that's an awful lot of numbers. But anyway, despite its name, it's actually a small Linux uh, desktop, 64-bit with, which has its origins in puppy Linux, but uh, it, it not all dogs just stay as puppies. They all kind of grow up, and this one grew up become a fat dog. It says it's actually based on Linux from scratch. So although it's got its origins in puppy, it's uh, based on Linux from scratch, uh, 11.3. New updates are too numerous to list. Refer to the list of packages instead. All right, fine. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> This hasn't really given us very much for our release statement. I suppose that's what I get from just picking it by name, isn't it? <laughs> no issues. Suspend resume does not always work with certain machines. Certain Radeon-based machines may require the Radeon module to be preloaded using load modules. Otherwise, the kernel might stall during the boot process, causing unnecessary delays. So they really have plugged this, haven't they, on their the top spot in DistroWatch yet? <laughs> <laughs> If that hasn't put you off, then go check out Fat Dog 64. We'll add that to the review list immediately, I think. Straight to the top. Um, I just had a quick look down the uh, DistroWatch releases for this particular distro, and I am intrigued by the fact that the versioning version numbering system is literally one step away from arbitrary. So <laughs> the current one is 900. That does not mean there have been 900 releases so far. Uh, the previous one from that was 801, sorry, 814. And then before that was 801, then 800, then 720. So I'm not quite sure what the logic is around their numbering system because it's not even based on the date. Hmm. And actually, it seems there was quite a distance between 801 and 814. <clears throat> 801 is the... Four years. Yeah, 4th of May to 2019 and 814, the 3rd of July... 2023. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting. Excellent. Okay, and uh, Andrew, what did you spot? Armbian, <clears throat> as in A-R-M, Armbian. It's not the easiest of things to pronounce, but you can probably guess what it's about. It is 
uh, based in Debian, and it's for ARM development boards. And if, like a former me, you wonder what a development board might be, if you ask for, if you were to ask for an ARM without a development board, then all you get is a chip, <laughs> which is of not much use to anyone. So a development board is uh, just enough hardware to get you going, but not just the, the, the CPU, the processor or microcontroller or whatever. These devices that it runs on, uh, many people might not be that familiar with. So obviously Armbian is a play in Raspbian, for the so, which was the, what the Raspberry Pi OS used to be called. So you could get Armbian working on a Banana Pi or a Kubi board or an Olimex, Orange Pi, Odroid, a Pine64, etc, etc, etc. Um, all of these things uh, will work and you can have a very slimmed down efficient command line thing or you can even in the more powerful ones have Cinnamon or XFCE for a development board anyway and that's uh, quite a luxury I would have said uh, so this version is 23.8.1 and it actually came out 10 days ago on the 2nd of September and it's what you think it is, it is the ability to run a Linux on um, an ARM platform. That's what it's all about. So not something that you would use for as a desktop daily driver, certainly not, but something for very specific focused projects and just playing around. Yeah, it's good to see banana pies are still in development. I've got one. I haven't used it in a wee while, but uh, it's the original purpose of mine was uh, because I think the banana pie was the first of these boards that actually came with Wi-Fi built in. It was the first one. I'm not saying it's the only one, but it's the first one. And at the time, I was looking at a wee internet radio, and that's what I built it out of. But I think after uh, <laughs> quite a few challenges, I eventually just bought internet radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could get it working, but I could only work one channel. <laughs> so it's fine if you only ever listen to one channel, but uh, apart from that, it was a wee bit challenging without physically having to go grab a keyboard and a monitor and type in what you wanted. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. maybe you can get uh, get more, of out of, more out of it with Armbian. I don't know. Well, certainly, given the amount of stuff that there is, and it's it's not brand new, it's, it's had a few releases, so it might actually have a bit more of a community behind it. I think that was a problem I got stuck with, was there just wasn't the, the, the stuff that could support the Brana Pie didn't have a heck of a lot at the time you yeah. know, of community behind it. I mean, that, that, I mean, that is... When people ask me what is so good about a Raspberry Pi, actually, the, to me, the answer is largely there's a lot of people that use it, and so there's a lot mm. of software yeah. for it. There's a lot of experience. Yeah. There's a lot of how-tos, you know. Uh, and obviously, you had the reverse experience with a lesser-known one. Yeah. I quite like the, the logo or the wallpaper for, for the desktop of a very low-polygon count... A penguin in 2D. <laughs> I would say maybe yes, there's two, that does look good. two dozen triangles in four colours. <laughs> Very retro. A couple of things. Firstly, it, you know, there are loads of um, these new single-board computers that are coming out now. I'm seeing a lot of them... Uh, so, I mean, Pine 64, they've got like four or five different variations of them. There's the Orange Pie that I think you mentioned earlier on, which is is starting to, to gain a bit of traction. But, of course, the uh, Chinese tech companies are coming up with their own versions for these all the time as well. So there's plenty of, of hardware to install this on. But when you first mentioned Armbian 
Andrew, I, I assumed that it was going to be for the next generation of wearables. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, arm <laughs> being. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I've chosen Pardus purely because I thought it might be fun to actually try and pronounce the name of the organisation that's produced it. <laughs> uh, so Tubitak Ulakbim, I think. Ooh. I've probably got the the accent wrong there. Uh, which is the Scientific and Technical Research Council of Turkey and the National Academic Network and Information Centre has announced the release of Pardus version 23, a new major update of the project's Debian-based Linux distribution with a choice of XFCE and GNOME desktops. The release is codenamed iYildiz, or Crescent and Star, which is one of Turkey's national symbols. And it aims to offer the most up-to-date technology, ease of use with new applications, a long-term support program, and a stable Linux 6.1 version. Lots of software updates, um, which they've listed a few of there. I noticed the ISO images are huge, actually. They're like two, nearly three gigabytes in size. Mm. So... I presume that means they're packing a lot in there, but they're only shipping XFC in GNOME that I'm aware of. So I presume they're, they've got like loads of software uh, bundled in with the, with the ISO image as well. Anyway, yes, that uh, that was released a couple of weeks ago. Part of version 23. Mm, yeah, like I said, to, I was talking the pre-show, uh, not used it in many a year, but... Uh, Pardus was one I remember somebody using, and the only reason they, they stopped was because the lack of software. Actually, we're, as we're talking about community, but now with it being based on Debian, the, there's no reason for that, and that's you got pretty much uh, the majority of software that you're going to need. So, but good to see it's still going many years later. I wonder if it's worth going into a bit of a debate at some point, maybe not this week, as to discuss the potential reasons as to why people don't like using distributions that are based on Debian or Ubuntu. Are you trying to raise that grievance here? Um, well, yes, there is, there, there is that possibility. Um, but it, it is a really interesting one that, that I don't know whether it's Debian itself or whether Debian's technology choices or, well, obviously Ubuntu's technology choices split the community well in a number of different pieces but no system d wasn't a great uh, a great choice for some so I, I, i'm yeah, just i'm curious sounds like this could be a potential hpr episode hmm. yes I, I, i'll be honest i hadn't really been uh, yeah i was surprised when you said that dave because i didn't think people were really that put off using debian or ubuntu i mean i guess as people like me who are generally not attracted to the big thing and like the more niche things um uh, that sort of do their own, go their own way um yeah but it's an interesting point something to ponder certainly mm. yes but i think that is maybe a chat for another time though uh let us let us get back on track now i deliberately you're going to know exactly why i picked this uh, given the name of this is Margaritaville, uh, yeah. So have to have to p- give a shout out to uh, the late great Jimmy Buffett who passed away yeah. just only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sadly, I think it was actually announced on the same day Muhammad Al Fayed passed away. So it was really kind of missed by an awful lot of people. But uh, this is probably one of his most famous tracks, Margaritaville, and this is done. This cover is done by Jim's The Man Bands. I. 
And next, we are going to look at, I think it's fair to say it's a nautical-themed distribution, Regatta OS. Although not spelt the way I would expect Regatta to be spelt. But that, I think, is because it hails from Brazil, and it's uh, a Portuguese word, not the word I would recognise in English. Anyway, Dave, what did you make of Regatta OS? Well... 
it probably wasn't the best distribution for me to review. Uh, and that's why I'm going first, because I'll probably have the least to say about it for reasons which will become apparent uh, as I go through the review. I know I normally spend quite a bit of time when I'm doing these reviews going through installation um, processes and stuff like that. But whilst I was going through and reviewing this, I realised that firstly, people probably don't care. How you install the, uh, the distribution probably shouldn't be the basis of a review because... Once it's done, it's done. And uh, I know I can be a bit pedantic at times. Yes, at times. But in this case, the installation process, well, it's nothing to write home about. It asks about your disk allocation, as all distro installers do. And then it just went and did it. No questions, just install and boot into the OS. Um, I think I mentioned on the PC Linux OS review in our last main episode that this is something I'm seeing quite a bit now, where your basically being asked the questions of what, how you want to configure the OS after it's installed, which is quite a nice approach. So on the first boot, when you go through and, and actually configure the operating system for first use, it was a very clean process, except I did notice it didn't remember my language preference when it went through the second stage, nor did it remember what display resolution I had set when I started the installer earlier in the process. But the key thing for me here is that I noticed you choose your username and your password. The option to log in automatically without asking for the password was actually checked by default. I didn't like that. I think that's not a good default to have, in my personal opinion. Once all the configuration was done, another reboot, and uh, you get presented with your desktop. And the desktop wallpaper is gorgeous. It really is nice. Lovely geometric shapes. I think they call them triangles these days, in a really nice vivid blue. Uh, so it's really quite striking when it first boots up and you look at it, and it, it, it really does stand out. The desktop layout is very familiar to those of a Windows Persuasion. I didn't know this until I actually booted it up, that the OS is actually running KDE Plasma on the desktop, which I have to say looks very, very nice. I've not used KDE in anger since the early noughties, and I just could not get on with it at all. But even though I'm very much an Ubuntu fanboy, Plasma, it does really look good. The application launcher, or start menu, if you like, it looked very much like the cinnamon launcher to me. I don't know whether that's which way, who, who inspired who, but the whole thing looks very reminiscent of the Windows start menu. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're building a, a distribution that is designed to look familiar and act familiar, then it's a good way of doing it. You know, it, it both looks and behaves very logical. It is very, very responsive. So as you're, you're, you open the application launcher and you're scrolling up and down the categories on the left-hand side, the response to the applications that are in those, uh, those categories is immediate, which Windows is not. But also the application launcher response to the super key which longer term listeners will know that that's actually quite an important tick box for me. The bottom panel or taskbar looks very good as well. And particularly the clock, which is presented quite large on the right hand side of the panel, very obvious and very easy to read. Now, interestingly enough, I actually struggled to find any settings for the panel at all because I wanted to see that firstly, if I could move the panel to the left which is kind of how I prefer to have the configuration of the primary panel on an operating system. Or even if I could change the background color of it, 
I eventually found out how to change the color, but I could not work out how to configure it. And I did some searches. I looked up that specific version of Plasma, Plasma, which was 5.27, and I still couldn't get the to, to get to get into edit mode to be able to to change the configuration of the panel. But whilst I was looking to find that, I discovered that that particular version of Plasma now includes tiling in the window manager as standard. And I was intrigued to look at that because it looked like it would be equivalent to what <coughs> Windows Power Toys uh, does. But it's, it's not as advanced as that. It's a good start, I would say. But as far as a tiling managers is concerned, the functionality is fairly basic. Uh, I also discovered that I could add my Nextcloud instance in the online account settings. And uh, if, you, if you're using online accounts on any operating system, the idea is that it will integrate your online service with the, the desktop environment. But when I added it, I couldn't actually see any of my files that were on my Nextcloud instance. They were definitely there. It didn't delete them all, but I couldn't see them in the file manager, which I think is Dolphin on uh, Regatta OS. Now, the distro itself doesn't come with a huge amount of software installed, and there's a very good reason to that, which I'll come on to in a bit. What is installed, you'll find the usual system tools, image, document viewer, scanner utilities, text editor, browser, blah, 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 blah. And of course, you can install whatever you want from the Regatta OS store, which is like their uh, software center. And the, the OS store actually looks the biz. It, it's a really nicely laid out boutique, if you like, of software. But it does seem to have quite a large focus on non-free software. Without scrolling, I managed, I was able to see installers for Discord, Chrome, Dropbox, Deezer, Slack, VS Code. No, that's not free, by the way. Without scrolling up or down or choosing any other options. But that's not to say there isn't a good choice of free software as well, because there is. I did like the way they categorised the items in the store. Rather than using games, multimedia, internet, development, they used create, work, play, develop, which I thought was a really nice modern way of describing what you may want to be looking for in, in that particular app store. As far as the app store is concerned, and in fact, I would say probably the, the software installation process as a whole, it really stood out for me is that I did not have to authenticate in order to install or uninstall software. Usually, and on most distributions, if you say install on a piece of software, the next question is, what's your password? But on Regatoros, it didn't ask once. I was really quite impressed by that. And this is actually something probably that other distro distros could learn from. Installing software is a standard part of any usage of a machine. And unless you're in a corporate or other restricted environment where you'd want to lock down the installation of software, this should be available by default without any blockers. Anyway, I said earlier I was going to explain why I thought that this particular distro had next to no software installed by default. And that is, this distro has a very strong focus on gaming. And this is represented by Steam already being installed. And there's also an application called Game Access, which I am absolutely certain that both Kevy and Andrew are going to be talking about in some detail as we go further forward. But it brings together the gaming libraries of things like EA, Epic, GOG, Rockstar, all into a single platform. Now, when you use them for the first time, you will have to install the launchers and any dependencies like Wine, for example. But once they're there, they're already there for you to use next time around. Now, I'm not a gamer. 
I think it took me about six and a half minutes for me to actually say that for the first time, but I am not a gamer. Um, but I think that if I were, I would approach this distro as a really good uh, gaming platform, potentially. Now, I can't speak for its performance or how nicely each of the gaming platforms work because I was running it virtually. So I basically haven't got a chance in the pit of lava for actually getting some decent uh, performance out of the distribution with regards to gaming. But overall, as a distribution in its own right, taking the gaming out of the equation, because I'll be fair, I would, it's really nice. It looks good. It has some very logical, sane choices. It ticks a number of boxes, including boxes I didn't know I had to be ticked. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it for at least a try out, certainly. But it's actually woken me up to KDE a little bit because, as I said earlier, I'd, I'd have, I've had some not great experiences with it, but that was probably more of, oh, this is new and I don't like it. Whereas now, oh, this is new and it looks really nice. So, yeah, really nice distro. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Dave. Yeah, so that, that was a take on a distro that seems to be aimed at a gamer from a non-gamer. So perhaps if we move over now to a gamer, Kevy, what did you make of Regatta? Well, I have to confess, <clears throat> hadn't actually even heard of this one before. I think we've seen quite a few recently where it's just been sadly... It's just basically been a new bunt to spin with a bunch of free games put on and like, you know, as is on this, like Steam installed and maybe Lutris. And I've tried a few, which they haven't really been kind of distros in their own right. It's just really somebody spun up something. But this is something different. And it's okay. It's not independent. And it couldn't be, to be honest. There's no way that they, they could do this and maintain all this plus maintain a base uh, distro as well. This is based on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So this is cutting edge. Now, as Dave already mentioned, installation dead easy. Unlike PC Linux OS, you install it, reboot, and then you have to put in all your credentials. Uh, now, I installed it, so this was on a partition. Uh, so I'm running this natively. One thing that I noticed straight away was, boy, this was quick. My... Ubuntu desktop roughly is 25 seconds, 20, 25 seconds from boot to completely loaded. Now, when I say completely loaded, I don't mean my desktop wallpaper appears. I mean the totally usable, no more loading. This was five seconds. So it was really blooming quick because I thought, no, nah, this can't be it. This cannot be it. So I timed it again. Yeah, it is. It's really quick and boots you to a very nice uh, blue and black themed, very lovely theming right the way through. The icons are different from the norm. They're very sharp, very sharp chords. I imagine they're probably going to be a bit love-hate, but the theming just goes really well. Dave's already mentioned it's a very standard, if you like a certain, a certain, a certain MS layout, where you've got one bar at the bottom, uh, one single panel, and you've got the menu, the quick launch things, uh, the programs you've currently got open, and then your system 3M clock, etc. One thing that I did like was hot corners are active. So it's not just sides, it's hot corners. They are active by default, which I absolutely love. Drag it into the corner, the thing goes quarter size. I also had an oddity with the setup, this initial setup. Everything was fine, except... 
The language on my spell checker, there's only two installed by default. When you went to the spell checker, you had English, US or Portuguese. That was it. So I had to then start going and installing the UK English for the spell checker. And the other one was the same with the keyboard. The the only one that, uh, for some reason, the layout defaulted back to US. Don't know why, because I had already said it to UK, and it was working, actually, after the initial part. So when it booted up the first time, it went back to US. Now, mega rare event here. Mega rare. It set up everything sound exactly as how I would want it. It saw that there was a dedicated microphone and used it as a default input. How lovely. It saw that there was a sound card with something plugged into it and used it as a default output. (laughs) So everything just so nicely. It seems to be, I don't know why, but every blimmin' distro I seem to boot up wants to make my webcam my default input and my HDMI port my default output. This seems to be standard no matter what I do. So this was nice. I didn't have to change a thing. Now, Dave's already mentioned as well, given the size of it, there really isn't an awful lot of software. It's 3.1 gig to download the image. And I'll come back to the gaming stuff. But literally all you get for that, apart from the settings and stuff that come with KDE, you get Kate, that's a text editor. You get Gwenview for image viewing. Ocular document viewer. Uh, Scanlight for your scanning. Firefox, KDE Connect, VLC. Pulse audio volume control, and that's about it. However, there is, as Dave's already mentioned, this thing called Regatta Game Access. Now, when you load it up, straight away, it's, you're thinking, nah, th- this is a, this is a Mickey, this is taking the Mickey, this is far too good to be true. Because one thing that generally Linux gamers have had issues with, although Steam really has made this much easier, but AAA titles are not easy to run, especially when they first come out. So the problem is I generally have a policy, you know, the, the, the policy with a, a lot of the Linux hardcore gamers, no tucks, no bucks, so they say. So if there's not a Linux version of it, I generally don't give them my money. So trying out made me go, oh, this is going to be difficult. Now, then I remembered that GOG, constantly have giveaways on the, if you're on their email uh, newsletter, they'll say giveaway, giveaway, giveaway. And of course, you know, a freebie to a Scotsman. Come on now. Yes, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to turn that down. So I actually did have a bunch of Windows only games. So I thought, right, actually, let's try GOG Galaxy. I've never installed GOG Galaxy because they don't have a Linux plumbing native thing. So it's like, okay, you can download all their games as individuals, but not uh, with its own app. So let's try this. It installed and it ran. Honestly, you would not believe that this was not native. It was so smooth. Everything was great. I was, so it showed up, it loaded up in this uh, game access. Just And it was, it was like it was all native. This is what was lovely about it. So I thought, right, let's just try something simple because I only had like 80 gig on a partition and I've got games that are 200 odd gig plus. So I thought, right, let's go for a classic game. So I noticed there was, I got an anniversary freebie of Flashback, the old game, and I tried installing it. And again, it 
it, there was no setup required. It installed. It put a quick launch on the front of the game access library. I ran it. No, okay, this isn't exactly a challenging game, but it ran perfectly. And another thing was controller support, which can quite often be a bit of an initial pain. You have to config it. It ran absolutely perfectly out of the box. I picked up the controller, started using it. Nothing required. So that was absolutely great. Now, I thought, let's have a try here, right? Let's give it something a bit more. Now, I looked through my library and... I'd, another one that I didn't know I had, I have got all the Saints Row games, with the exception of the latest one. And for some reason, I discovered that I had a Saints Row 2 in my GOG library. Don't know where that came from. I don't remember buying it or even claiming it for free. So it's in my, it's, it's in uh, Steam, but it's a native in Steam. It runs natively. So I thought, right, okay, double checked and it would install. I was thinking, no, is this going to crash this? Is this going to, sorry, take up all my space? So, and uh, the one thing about Saints Row 2 is that it was a buggy port to begin with. So running it on Steam even natively generally has been a... It's playable, but you're going to experience a lot of bugs. And it ran smoother than on Steam. I'll, I'll have to give it that. It was a... F I, I played a good bit of it. I played about a good hour. Didn't encounter many bugs at all. Couple of glitches where I crossed into something, although this glitch is something you can exploit, where if you run into a wall and spin the camera around, the wall disappears. So in a, ga in a game where at times you do have to basically take people by surprise with a lot of guns, it, that's actually a handy glitch to have, and that glitch was still there. But it really did run it really nicely. The, the other one I did notice was the Rockstar Launcher was there. Now, I, I wanted to test it, but I'm refusing to test it at the same time. Because Rockstar have an anti-cheat policy and they basically blacklist all Linux machines. If you try and run a Rockstar game through uh, Steam, it'll run fine as far as Steam goes, but it won't let you log in via Rockstar. It won't get you any further. The game will install, but generally it won't run. So I was glad to see it there, but I'd be very interested to see if anybody actually tried it because, yeah, I'm certainly not paying for GTA V or Red Dead Redemption 2 or any of them if I'm not going to be able to run it. So I did notice it was there. If it works as seamlessly as this, then I must admit I am definitely going to be sold on Regatta OS. I signed into Steam. Steam was already there. It ran, as you would expect, absolutely perfectly. The software center, now, yeah, you mentioned it, <laughs> Dave, and you think, yeah, this is perfect. I've got one issue uh, that with what you said. You said this should be the way forward. No authentication, just allow things to be installed. Uh, is that not how malware and viruses go on to your system? <laughs> They're installing in the background. I see your point. Mm-hmm. Software installation should only occur as the result of a positive action by a, a, a by a user. Oh, I agree, should. So, but I mean, I'm it, it, what I'm it, what I'm talking here about is if you go to a software store, software store, and say install, mm -hmm. install it. If yeah, you go to an surely, update manager and say update, then update. But sh but surely that's something that could be cloned and masked. I'm a software center. Run this, okay. And it could be a backdoor, it could be a Trojan, it could be something. It won't make a difference because even if the cloned app requests authentication, muscle memory will kick in, you'll put your password in. 
the end result's exactly the same. Well, I don't know. I check and make sure everything. I'm, I'm one of these people to go, right, what am I installing here? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, see, when you say about path, you say about muscle memory, I'm the type of person who goes, what's it asking password authentication for? Let me see it, and I will actually double-check to make sure what I'm doing. Then. But if you've just pressed install on yes, a software you, store... Yes, yes, yes. If you've just pressed install, yes, I agree with. What I'm saying is, if something runs in the background, and like I said, it's it's spoofing it to say, I'm from the I'm from the OS uh, software center, install me, okay... <laughs> Again, that would have to have been from a positive indication from the user rather than something just randomly popping up and say, hi, I want to install this. But the answer is no. The, anyway, like I said, I actually don't mind the fact that you have a password. <laughs> now, it is it is definitely designed though, to be easy to use. Although a word of warning, uh, I would say this is very, this one is, is dodgy for me, certainly. Uh, Firefox Sync, you can put down... When you log into it, you can put down your default options. And my default option is ask for a password, ask a password. I logged in and went through and then it just logged me in. And as is usual, all my add-ons went straight onto Firefox. Good. And then I was like, right, let's have a look at this. Went into Firefox, uh, username, passwords, click. There they are. I had a stage missing there. All my passwords were fully on show without any authentication required. So that one is a word of warning. I went online, I went down to the settings and ticked, which was already blooming ticked in my default options, uh, tick request password, request security password, request key. Uh, so just a word of warning. Uh, just be careful, especially if you're in the habit of leaving your computer on... Uh, and you've got like a 30-minute uh, timeout or anything like that, that's plenty of time for someone to jump on and shake. The, the, the only th- issue I had actually with the software center was that it seemed to have, I would like a wee bit of an update because I had a couple of applications which I installed and it did seem to just... Uh, it was almost as if it was just spinning and doing nothing, to the point where actually I thought it had crashed. Uh, it hadn't, actually, but uh, it just seemed to cause a delay. It would actually be nice maybe there if you actually saw a kind of progress or a timer or something. That's the only thing I would say. Um, the un- Yeah, the other thing on security. This does not have any timeout by default because the first time I noticed this was I was I'd installed it I had tested it every while, went for my dinner, uh, and by the time, well, actually, when you make the dinner, by the time I'd made the dinner, we'd eaten, I'd cleared up, came back, so it was two hours, and I came back to the exact same screen I'd left. There was no lock, there was no timeout, there was no anything. Uh, I checked, there was no, I checked on the settings, there's no lock or screensaver by default. The, in power management, it does say, that the power saver should kick in after 10 minutes and the screen should switch off. That did not happen for me. So that was the only thing. Now, as far as the, the overall of the experience, very, very good. I really cannot put anything wrong with... And I'm actually really impressed by this Regato OS game view. Uh, sorry, game access. I think it's worth trying purely for this if you're a gamer. Yeah, if you're a gamer, I think it's really worthwhile trying. I would love to see if we could get this 
as an application rather than as a built-in feature of the distro, because I'd love to even try and see if it would run on Ubuntu or anything other like, but so far I haven't actually found it anywhere. Uh, but I would recommend giving it a try purely for that. As far as this becoming my daily driver, I would happily say yes. Happily say yes. Everything installed, everything worked. So actually, the gaming was just so much smoother. So am I going to convert over to it? This is a serious maybe. I'm, I'm not saying 100% yes, but it's it's a maybe. Next time I'm looking for a different distro, this is going to be my first protocol. Um, oh, there's, there's one thing. Maybe Andrew can help me out here. I'm not a KDE user, so this one struggled. By default, it did not let me view my other disks or partitions. Is that an easy setup switch? Did not let you view in the file manager would be Dolphin? Yes. Uh, uh, when I, try, I mean, it showed me them there, but when I clicked on them, it just said, you don't have permission to view that hard disk or partition. Right. Well, that, like, that, oh. that is not, uh, yeah, that's not something to do with KD or Plasma or Dolphin. That's something to do with the operating system. I don't know. I'm assuming it's it's a it's a basically a user group or something that's an issue. Ah, uh, yes, that must be must be the case. Yes, you'd be right. It would be one of those. Uh, there's a there is a yeah, but that's not again just to do with uh, KDE, but a lower level in uh, permissions and for the user. Um, yeah, because in you know when I use uh, Dolphin under Plasma and KDE uh, uh, Slackware, uh, I just click on. Uh, any of the things that come up and it automatically mounts the USB drive, whatever it is hmm. uh, in question. I didn't try a USB drive, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I've got, like I said, I've got, uh, I think, four or five hard drives in this tower and they're all partitioned into different things. So Yeah, no, I, I can just, see, see all my devices here. Uh, and I, I there's even remote uh, Samba shares and all kinds of things. They all I just click them and oh. they work. Yeah, Oddly so. enough, the Samba share was fine. I could access my local Samba share. But just, so let me do that, but it didn't give me a, a permission to check a, a different uh, hard drive. <laughs> that is Yeah, maybe that needs to be set up explicitly. Um, I, I'll assume so, yes. Right then, so how did you get on with this? Well, first of all, I was a little apprehensive because actually I started reviewing it some time ago and I seem to have lost my notes, so I couldn't even remember having installed it, or, or, or the installation process. Obviously, I had installed it in a virtual machine like Dave. But actually, my experience, when I heard Dave recount his experience, it, it was the same as my experience. I went, oh, yes, that happened. Oh, yes, that happened. So uh, this is great. Thank you, Dave. You saved me a lot of time there. I'll go through all the things that, that maybe you guys didn't mention that I encountered. So first of all, I think we were all looking at Regatta OS 23 Honeycomb, which was the latest release. The first thing I noticed, I hadn't used a Regatta in a while, I was going to refresh my memory of how it worked. So I, and I noticed it offered to update uh, various system resources, you know, so I think there was four apps, uh, Firefox, Kate, Ocular, maybe another one, and a system update, which is uh, upgrading the operating system stuff and I just told it to do that and it was a bit strange I told it to do it one at a time so it did Firefox first and that worked and then I did Kate but then while I was looking away and looked back it said you're all up to date I went really? 
I don't remember telling you to update Ocular or the system. Strange. So then I click check for updates, and then all of them except Firefox announced they wanted to be updated. So I did Kate again, and pretty much the same thing happened. Though I did see this time, I did notice that Kate had successfully updated. But nevertheless, when it then went and said, you're all up to date, I think, well, I haven't updated Ocular or the system yet. When I clicked the check for updates, then again, Firefox, the only one that it thought had updated, and it asked me to update Kate again, and I thought, okay, so something was not right there. Now, maybe there was a queue of updates, it wasn't just one update that Kate needed, it needed several. I doubt that was the case, though. There's certainly a bit of a bug going on there. Clicking around, there was a support window which had... You know, it wasn't like you gave you a number of somebody you could phone up or uh, an email address you could email or anything like that. I just had a, a lot of quite clear how-to articles. For example, there was one quite interesting how-to article on how to switch between using your integrated graphics or your what called your discrete gra- graphics GPU, the one you would probably use for gaming. Because in many laptops, like the one I'm on, there's a sort of Intel sort of efficient uh, but can't do, play, do 3D stuff in games, GPU, and then there's a full NVIDIA 1060 in this laptop as well. So it gives you a guide on how to get the most out of that in Regatta. Alas, that didn't help me, because I'm not really running it on this laptop. I'm running it through a virtual machine. So, yeah, sadly, this wasn't going to help me. But if you were, there was a, a thing called Max-Q, and it let you test and set up your GPU uh, to get some performance out of it, check everything's working. That looked quite good, but again, because I'm in a virtual machine, uh, only did software rendering. Uh, it did it pretty fast, I have to say. The tests came out with several hundred frames per second of GLX gears and some spinning cube, but I guess they're not really testing it to any great degree. Another thing that I noticed is that I'm familiar with uh, KDE Plasma. And one thing that I really do like about it, and I think it was Dave who, in a previous distro review, you attracted my attention to this feature of KDE. It's called KDE Connect, and it's really, really good. For example, I can be working my phone on my laptop, and it will synchronize my clipboards. Or I can just set, quickly send a file from my phone to my laptop. What surprised me in this case was Regatta, which was running inside a virtual machine on my laptop, could see not only my phone, it could also see the host machine it was on through KDE Connect, which actually, the way I have the VirtualBox networking set up, I don't know how it did that. (laughs) I was scratching my head (laughs) thinking, how did it do that? But anyway, it worked. The only thing that didn't work, though, was I had to use, say, my phone to initiate the pairing with KDE Connect. If I tried to do it, start it from Regatta, it didn't seem to receive a reply from my phone or the host machine. So it wasn't completely working in the pairing, but in every other respect, it seemed to be fine. Beyond that, I don't really have much else to say about Regatta. Like Dave, I couldn't really test the gaming side of it, which is actually, I think, a key selling point of Regatta. So I feel like I didn't really give it a fair test. I'm slightly inclined now to try and install it directly onto a hard drive. I've got a new laptop, which has got some spare parts, partition space, so I might try that and see how it goes. If you like gaming and you're on Linux, I think you could do worse than Regatta. I think it's worth a go for a daily driver if, as I say, gaming is one of the things that you like to do with your machine. Yeah, one thing I would actually like to point out that I forgot to was that, uh, because I didn't actually note it down, I only came across this after writing the review, was that this is now the second distro, that, as far as I'm aware, that we've reviewed 
where they've got a magazine. Magazine.regattaos.com. And this one's actually, it's, to be honest, it's not really as much a magazine as PC Linux OS one is. Instead, it's a bunch of posts, but it's actually quite nicely done. You can click on three tabs. You can click on home to see all the posts. You can click on one games just to see the gaming posts or apps for new apps and things. Like if I click on apps, it says 20 new apps arrived at Regatta OS Store, including Proton VPN, Flat Seal, Audio Tube, and more. And the third one is tutorials. So how to set up a genetic controller on Linux using SC Controller app. That's actually quite a nice feature. I'd be really interested to hear, though, from anybody listening, especially if you're a gamer who still has a Windows, uses Windows for gaming. Please try this and let us know about that Rockstar launcher, because to be honest, I would love to be able to play GTA and that and Red Dead. But I'm just, like I said, I'm just not willing to pay out the money to find it doesn't work, because those games aren't cheap. Yeah, I don't have those games, but was Epic one of the launchers that it had? Epic, yeah, Epic Game Store, yeah. Because I haven't played it much recently, but I used to quite avidly play Elite Dangerous, uh, which has not uh, got any kind of native uh, Linux build. And I did get a free copy of Elite on Epic, so I could potentially try that out. That would be an interesting experiment. Maybe I could try that out on Steam, because I also have it on Steam. I'll be interested to try it. It's that launcher. See, like I said, I, I, I have tested games on Steam using Proton, and... The good thing about Steam is if it doesn't work, you've got, I don't know, 24 hours or something to return it, and you get a full refund. I'm just not willing to try, like I said, purchasing it and then finding it won't work because yes. of that Rockstar launcher. <sighs> yes, no, good point. So, is it uh, time for another tune? Yes, I believe it is. Now then, this is mm. a Bobby Ramon, and this track is Jamming Affairs.
And now we are going to look at uh, LibreTube, which is a, no surprise, a free and open source front end for YouTube. So uh, I think it's on Android only, but I uh, couldn't tell you at 100%, but we tested the Android version. So, Andrew, how did you get on with this? Well, I grabbed it from F-Droid, and I presume if it was an F-Droid, it was released under uh, some kind of free and open source software license. I didn't check the license, I should have done. But it does warn you that it may contain features that you might not like, referring to the fact that ultimately you are sourcing your data from uh, the big G, Google, no escaping that. However, the key feature of it is you can do so without having a Google account. And indeed, it was refreshing to be able to watch YouTube without having to log in in any way. But since I hadn't logged in, it was a blank slate. It didn't know what videos I might want to watch and was just suggesting all these trending videos from big YouTubers like, I don't know, Mr. Beast, I think was the only one I recognised. And I wasn't going to watch any of them, so I went, and what did I look at? I think I was in a, a mood for fighter planes, so I went and watched a video of the Eurofighter Typhoon flying around at Bournemouth Air Show last weekend. Actually, I saw it flying around in Ayrshire in Scotland this weekend, so I enjoyed that very much. Watched the whole video, played absolutely fine, very high quality too. And then, not satisfied with recordings of fighter planes, I said, I am going to watch live fighter planes. So I found a channel and they were broadcasting live on YouTube from RAF Lakenheath showing F-35 fighter jets taking off. And I watched that live. It worked perfectly. I was very impressed. Somehow I thought the way LibreTube must work, live streams wouldn't work. I don't know why I thought that, but I was clearly wrong. It worked absolutely fine. And then watched some other videos. Yes, they were also about fighter planes. <laughs> I was just in a fighter plane mood. This time I watched a video about a journalist being flown in the backseat of an F-16 trainer. But while that was playing, I started fiddling around with settings, for example, the quality. Uh, and the other thing I did is I paused it. I downloaded the whole video and I was intrigued to discover that I could select the encoding of the video, the quality, and I could optionally choose not to download any audio or any captions, or I could select the formatting and the quality of the audio as well. And I didn't look at the captions. Maybe I could have had more in language. Uh, but the interesting thing is I could have downloaded the audio without the video if I wanted. Of course, why should that be difficult? YouTube doesn't let you do that, at least not easily as far as I know. The other thing I noticed, and you have to pay Google money for YouTube Premium to do this, is you can watch in a little tiny window. So on your phone, you can fiddle around in your web browser and answer emails and have your little video playing in a little rectangle in the corner of your screen. Very useful. And as I say, you don't have to pay anyone for that. Whereas, as I say, you have to pay Google money for that. And then I subscribed to some channels, and that worked fine too. And by the end of it, I was thinking... Yeah, there's really nothing that I really value f from watching YouTube that I can't do here. Comments. Were comments showing up? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I could comment a video if I haven't logged in. But do I look at YouTube comments? Not very often, so I wouldn't miss that. I actually have to say I was very impressed with LibreTube, and I can uh, see myself using it. Yeah, it was good. So, Kevy, what did you make of LibreTube? On the initial startup, I found it a wee bit confusing because the first thing it asks you is, 
what pipe do you want? And, you know, kind of the, n- none of the pipes that I've ever smoked were there. So, you know, I was very confused. <laughs> very confused. Not even a brandy pipe. Nope, not even a brandy pipe. They, they did not have it. So, uh, yeah, so it just said, what pipe? And I was going, what pipe? What, what pipe? I'm confused here. And I just assumed, treat it like a mirror. Because generally, if you've got a mirror, you want it to be as close to you as possible for the best, for the fastest connection. So they didn't offer any in the UK when I was on, so I chose France. Startup, you're shown the current trending videos, and you've got three icons at the bottom, home, subscriptions, and library. Now, <laughs> the whole point of this was to watch it, as you said, without the whole Google account, etc., being used. So subscriptions were totally pointless. <laughs> Because when you tried to do anything, it asked you to log in. And when it actually, when you tried to, I thought, let's see if I can. It says, this instance has disabled accounts. <laughs> so you can't act as well as you want to. Uh, anyway, I wasn't endeavouring to do anything. So I thought, I'm not going to do this. The whole point of this is using it without your account. What you had then in your library without an account was your watch history and your download history. And you also have the option to erase these one by one or erase the full thing. The search function works really well. And actually, one thing I liked about it was it gave you a category filter at the top of the page if you're looking for something specific. So the categories are videos, channels, playlists, musics, YouTube music songs, YouTube music videos, YouTube music albums, YouTube music playlists. You selecting a video will bring a page that includes a video at the top, options to share it, download it, play in a pop-out video, which you've already said, play as audio only, or save it as a playlist. And if you've watched it previously, one thing I really liked was, if you, especially with a longer video, you could have the option to resume or start from the beginning again. So I like that. Next, you've got the video uploader along with a subscribe button. Then the comments are hidden by default. However, you can actually view them. So the comments are there if you really hate yourself and want to read YouTube video comments. Don't know why you'd want to. Hidden by default is much better. At this point, there's one thing that really drove me bananas. I really disliked how the, how your default orientation is completely overwritten and anytime you go to the video, the, the page just before you play the video, it forces it to go portrait, right? You can try and change it, but that that thing always switches. Now, it's not an issue in a phone, right? It is not an issue on a phone. It's no problem on a phone. I tend to watch a lot of YouTube videos on my tablet, and I have my tablet on a cushion, one of these kind of tablet cushions, resting it. So, of course, I'm tr- set it off, set it up to watch it so it's in the landscape, and, of course, this thing juts at 90 degrees, I went onto the GitHub and I checked on issues, and a few people have reported it as an issue or a bug. And annoyingly, what they've just done is they've, they've crossed out and said, this is not a bug, it's a feature. But no, it's really annoying. You're forcing it the wrong way around. Anyway, that's just my personal thing. It's like YouTube as well. By default, once a video is completed, it'll start the next recommended video. Now, generally, this is a bit hit or miss, because I tested this with a Stardew Valley Let's Play, and about 50% of the time it went on to the next one, 50% of the time it either jumped ahead at about 20 videos, or it went back to 
You know, so it was really kind of, uh, it, it did not nicely go in the order I was expecting. But I mean, that's just a minor thing, to be honest. I quite liked, I really liked the feature to play audio only. Because quite often I'll listen to specific music I'm interested in through YouTube and through the headphones especially. So it doesn't actually make any benefit for me to have the video played. And I was thinking, if you're on a limited data plan, this could be very handy. Because with you taking out the video feature, that actually probably takes away, what, 75% of the data. Something like that. It'll be quite big. You've already briefly touched on it as well. It's, it's nice when you download, you get the choice. You can have MP4 or WebM. The MP4 offers a range of quality such as from 144 low end to 1080p high end. Uh, WebM seems to always be 360p. Audio only downloads are MP4A or Opus. So yeah, it was nice to see that. I, I wish Og was there, but can't have everything. Now, the next thing that I turned my thoughts to is I use NewPipe as my standard. And I thought, why use this over NewPipe? And clearly, the developers have thought the same thing because there's actually this question gets answered on the GitHub site. So uh, I do apologize. This is kind of three fairly short paragraphs, but uh, I want to read them out. The actual answer they give on the website, the GitHub website, with NewPipe, the extraction is done locally on your phone and all requests sent towards YouTube slash Google are done directly from the network you're connected to, which doesn't use a middleman server in between. Therefore, Google can still access information such as the user's IP address. Aside from that, subscriptions can only be stored locally. LibreTube takes this one step further and proxies all requests via Piped, which uses the new Pipe Extractor. This prevents Google servers from accessing your IP or any other personal data. Apart from that, Piped allows syncing your subscriptions between LibreTube and Piped which can be used on the desktop too. If the new pipe extractor breaks, it only requires an update of pipe and not LibreTube itself. Therefore, fixes usually arrive faster than a new pipe. While LibreTube only supports YouTube, new pipe also supports platforms such as SoundCloud, PeerTube, Bandcamp, MediaCC.de. I don't know what that one is. Both are great clients for watching YouTube videos. It depends on your individual's use case, which one fits their needs better. Overall, I'd say, yeah, check this out if you're looking to use YouTube on your phone. I'm saying phone, definitely phone. This auto-rotating feature really puts me off as a tablet because it's just so inconvenient. I mean, if this was an option that could be switched off, I'd go for it. But until that happens, right now, I'm going to stick to new pipe. So, sorry, Kev, can I just ask, the, the auto-rotate feature, you, you mean when you turn, maybe I misunderstood, when you turn your phone from portrait to landscape, that it will adjust accordingly? Is that what you mean? You didn't like no, that? Th- no, th- that, no, no, no. I do like that feature. But this is a thing like, see, it was on the tablet I mainly used it. And... When you're searching, when all the videos are up, everything like that, like I use my tablet in landscape mode. And I had asked for it in landscape mode because I found the in the settings and I put landscape. But the page that, you know, the page, when you click on a video and it comes to the page right before you play it, mm-hmm. that ought to always forces a portrait mode. Oh, I see. Okay, okay that's right? different. So, like, so if you're watching yeah. it on the tablet and all of a sudden everything turns 90 degrees, and you're like, what? 
Right. Yes, I see. I see. What you, I see what you mean. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I was looking. It's at not right, an I'm, issue on the phone, but it is on the tablet. Sorry. Okay. Because yeah. So I because actually what I found that irritated me is I'm so used to with YouTube is if I turn my phone from portrait to landscape, then I get like the full screen used for the video. But LibreTube would didn't do that. I had to tap the button to make it full screen for it to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was different to what you were talking about. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no worries. No, no, you're as well asking because uh, maybe other people might listening might have been thinking the same thing. So what is it they say? The only dumb question is the one that's not asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So, sorry, Dave, how did you get on with this? Well, on that basis, people really should stop asking me questions. Um, <laughs> so you've not left me a lot to follow up on, although I've just been spent in the last couple of minutes trying to work out how to download stuff from the app because i hadn't spotted you know it's a big uh, icon it says download underneath it and i'd missed it completely um, which really should make it I've, less subtle <laughs> but i've just tried to download something and it just didn't do anything there's no notification there's no toast there's no pop-up to say this is where it's downloading to and i've looked in all the the obvious places did you deny I, the permission well, I went, I went into permissions, and there's no media or file access permission for the app. Oh, see, now it did come up on mine on both tablet and phone. It said, "Do you wish us to have access to files that were denied?" Mm, so it's I might have to. Yeah, there's something. Well, I don't want to uninstall it because I've set up loads of subscriptions on it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll I'll keep playing on that one. I went into this review the wrong way. I went in with my eyes completely closed. I really, really regret that. I've used apps like this before. I've used NewPipe before. And I'm not saying NewPipe was, but a lot of these other ones that, uh, let's say, are trying to access YouTube through an alternative path were poop. I mean, I'm talking like huge piles of poop. But looking at this and actually trying to accept this application for what it actually is, I found myself in the presence of a really slick application. It's not just a window into YouTube or an alternative window into YouTube. It actually has a huge amount of functionality, 95% of which I have yet to discover. But as an alternative to YouTube, and this is what blew my brain up, YouTube music, this is a really, really good alternative. Now, I have to hold my hand up right now. And just before I go any further, I am fully in bed with Google. I use most of their services, consumer-grade services, Android Maps, YouTube, Google TV. I use it. All right, I even pay for the for YouTube Premium because I use YouTube Music so often. But if I had one complaint about the way that Google does stuff, it's basically the way that Google does stuff. It makes decisions on what I want to see through whatever algorithmic magic it decides to use. But what I found with LibreTube is that it literally gives me what I want based on my search terms. It doesn't try to use any form of predictive intelligence or anything like that. It just gives me what I've asked for, which means that if you do a search and then three days later you do the same search, you're going to get the same results, not the results that have been driven by your surfing activity or the contents of your email account or anything in the preceding few days. I mean, to prove the point, I, I did what everybody does. Don't deny it. You've done it as well. I search for myself. Now, on don't I shake your head I at me, Kevin. I'm right here. Why the heck did he search for myself? 
Do you have a YouTube channel? <laughs> no. That's all right. Mine's crap as well. Um, but on YouTube, <laughs> if I do a search for my name, then it brings up brings up the results for me within the first couple of pages of results. Are, you talking, are you talking your proper name or your nickname, your on-screen name? Actually, my proper name. I'm going to try this. Because my I've nickname... I've well, never done this. My nickname on YouTube or my channel name on YouTube is not what you would expect. So I put my name in, and on YouTube, I was there within the first page or two. On LibraTube, I was like scrolling, 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 five minutes later, scrolling, scrolling, and I still couldn't find it. And that that's ahead of a lot of other results that came back that had fewer subscribers than I do. So it's clearly not necessarily algorithm-driven. I just have a crap channel. I get that. But as soon as I put my channel's username in, which again is not what you think it might be, I appeared as the first result. But that that notwithstanding, just going through and using the app, just using it to look at videos and subscribing to channels. I have a whole bunch of subscriptions set up. One thing that I really appreciate is videos are actually appearing in the order they were posted, not in the order that Google wants to show them to me. And it's just basically an uncluttered and a faff-free experience. And I've made a note here that from now on, faff-free should be one of our criteria for reviewing apps. <laughs> As I said, there are tons of features in this app, app, most of which I haven't even scratched the surface of. Uh, I am looking for the option to stop it moving on to another video once it's played the one that I asked it to, outside of a playlist. So I'm sure one of you has already found that, and you'll tell me later. But I've got, I've got nothing else to offer other than what's already been said. It is a really nice app. I am very tempted to start using it from a YouTube video perspective going forward. I would say that if you're thinking of going Google free, and I know that there are many people that already have done, and I've got a number of people that are thinking about it, this is a great, a great privacy conscious route into YouTube and YouTube music without going down the Google route. But even if you are a Google fiend, like me, and you just want something that's lightweight and doesn't get in your way when you're trying to consume YouTube-based content, then this is a very, very good tool to have in your collection. Good. Yes, glad that you enjoyed it. Actually, that probably that probably means something coming from somebody who is, as you say yourself, in bed with Google. Yeah. So you're not coming from it from our point of view when it's like, must uh, delete everything to do with Google. <laughs> I use Google because Google, nothing else does it as good as Google does, despite my earlier complaints about me not liking the way it does it. <laughs> But, so the unofficial app does it much better than Google, but you think Google does it better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, Open OpenStreetMap, for example, just sort of a slight aside here, OpenStreetMap is a great service. I am fully behind everything it represents and everything it stands for, but it's not as good as Google Maps. If, there is, if, if a service comes up and produces something that is better than Google, I will use that service. If 15 different services come along and do things better than Google do, then I might get rid of Google. But at the moment, there's nothing else that touches the sides. This app is contributing to my belief that there is better out there. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I mean, I have to say, Dave, I'm not that far away from you in my use of Google. 
it is pretty good. OpenStreetMap's a good example. Actually, I think in some respects, OpenStreetMap is better than Google Maps. In other respects, uh, Google Maps is, is preferable. I mean, one obvious thing about OpenStreetMap is you can just download it and have it in your phone. And some of the actual mapping detail is better, like terrain and stuff. Anyway, but we're not reviewing Google Maps and OpenStreetMap. We're reviewing <laughs> LibreTube. Libre um, but I, I think I, I use YouTube quite a lot. I think the question that really occurs to me is, could I ditch the YouTube app and live outside my Google account and still get enough out of LibreTube to justify ditching YouTube? I think the answer for me is yes, because the only thing I'd really be losing, as I said, would be the my ability to comment and read comments. I, I actually can't recall. Can, can oh, no, you, you read can read comments. You can read. Okay, so I'm not you even can. using they're that. Just, they're hidden by default, but you can yeah. read them. Okay, you can read them, but you can't comment, obviously, without Google account. So in that in that sense, I can't really see why I would use the YouTube app I could perfectly happily probably use LibreTube instead. But, of course, those videos wouldn't exist without Google. So I'm not really <laughs> I'm not really moving away from Google. I'm just moving away from the YouTube app. So it's not that big a deal, really. It's, uh, actually, I must admit, it, it was when we reviewed, oh, way back. I, I don't even know if you were with us, Dave. I think Master 7 Andrew. This is going back years. We reviewed New Pipe and... Something like SkyTube or something was called mm, in yeah. one episode, and ever since then, actually, I've you've, I've I've had New Pipe on, and I've used it in both tablet and mobile form. I I don't ever use the. In fact, I don't actually have my Google account linked to my phone. Um, yeah, no, that that was well before I joined. Oh yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah. Cause that was new pipe, I think, was just beginning then, but it had a lot of the features, but it wasn't anywhere near as polished as it is now. Yeah, 2016. 2016, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, I th- actually, I thought maybe even before that, but okay, 2016. Just to quickly follow up on something you said, Andrew, is that by using an app like this, you're not really getting away from Google. But what you are doing is you're you're probably not even reducing the amount of information you're feeding into Google around usage and and behavior but what you are doing is you're breaking the link that associates that behavior and that activity with you yes i suppose that's true Mm. so even for somebody who is looking to break free of the surveillance of google with regards to usage of the youtube platform and everything else it does then this does it does break that link to, to an extent. Yes. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. That is it indeed. Right. Are we ready for another tune? Yes. yes. Now, we're going something totally different now. And this is Oasis of the Seas Orchestra with the tune Old Devil Moon. you and suddenly something in your eyes I see soon begins bewitching me it's that old devil moon that you stole from the sky it's that old devil moon in your eyes 
you in this glance make this romance too hot to handle stars in the night blazing their light can't hold a candle to your razzle dazzle you got me flying high and wide on a magic carpet ride full of butterflies inside wanna cry wanna croon wanna laugh like a loon it's that old devil moon in your eyes just when i think i'm free as a dove old devil moon deep in your eye blinds me with love Flying high and wide On a magic carpet ride Full of butterflies inside Wanna cry, wanna croon Wanna laugh like a loon It's that old devil moon in your eye And just when I think I'm 
angry as a dove Oh, devil moon, deep in your eye Blinds me with love And so we enter into our final segment. And I believe, Dave, that you have some information about the pod crawl, which sadly I was not in attendance at. We had a pod crawl in August. It was quite a quiet one, actually. We only had 13 people turn up in total. Uh, I'd say probably at its peak, we had uh, nine or ten actually running out at the same time, which I have to say is very unusual for a pod crawl because very often you'll get a few people that will basically stay the entire length of it and then just a, a rolling cast of people that would come in and go and come in and go and come in and go. But on this one, for some reason, we ended up with almost the same people throughout the entire event, mm. which was, it was great in, in some respects because you had that continuity of, of conversation. But on the other hand, there were a few people that maybe we would have liked to have seen that didn't come along, which is a bit of a shame. But I'll quickly go down the list of people that did turn up. Um, it's like, like I say, it's only a short list. We had uh, Peter, uh, Solar Spider. Thank you, Peter, for taking the roll call again, because once again, I was late. George, Geospart, Kieran, Gary, myself, Kevy, Ariana, Peter's wife, Yannick, Amy Gamercheck, Rob, Fat Freddy, uh, someone called John, who kind of appeared and then disappeared so maybe technically we had 12 people not 13 a typical colonel who i remember from the status net days yes and alan came along as well so good variety of people there really so very very good conversations actually some some slightly heated and maybe opinionated i think it's probably a fair statement but the, the conversation was was flowing but I think what so made it bit. actually odd was they were opinionated, but were all of the same opinion. <laughs> yeah, there was no, <laughs> there no contention, yeah, no, mean, no no argument. No. It was just heated debate. But the thing was, mm. it wasn't much of a debate because we all agreed with each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which, as you know, is very dangerous, especially in pub circles where there's beer drinking. You know, I agree with you more than you agree with me. No, that's not mm. possible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, but it was actually, it was a really good evening. Although, like you said, numbers, but then again, you know, as they say, it's quality, not quantity. Quality, not quantity. Yeah, absolutely. It was good. Yeah, for some reason, we guy wasn't up for it. I don't know why. But uh, mm. anyway, it's up to him. At the end of the day, I don't want to force him. Actually, to be honest, given the way that kind of chat went, it wasn't probably that good for kids anyway. So uh, Maybe not, no. Probably was better he stayed I away. It wasn't necessarily the subject matter either. I think lubricated tongues were maybe a, a, a that language is a little bit free. It was um, yes, uh, <laughs> the beer was flowing rather well. We can see that. We can definitely see that. Twas that. Yes. Twas that. we do a family friendly show. Not necessarily yes. organise a family friendly pod crawl. That Absolutely. Well, the thing is, I, I've said it from day one. You know about pod crawls. It's different in England and especially in the mainland Europe. Pubs in Scotland are designed to be adults. They're not family friendly generally. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, uh, pod crawl was never designed to be a family friendly thing. But uh, although it was quite good actually, when we have had the, a few times younger people joining us, the members have been very uh, disciplined. Let's see. Everybody adapts incredibly well when you have uh, younger visitors coming along, which is really good. Uh, and that's one of the great things about pod crawl is that. It is inclusive. 
uh, up to a point. Up to a point, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's Kevy. It's almost like we should do another one. I, you know, I, I think we actually should. And well, we're looking at the no. We'll have to organise a Christmas one, but uh, we'll not quite do that yet because we need one before then. So, in discussion, for those of you who are in the uncut feed, this is no surprise at all. But we are planning 6pm on the 28th of October. So, actually, probably, although that sounds quite a bit away, it's probably only about six, six weeks. Uh, six weeks Saturday, something like mm. that. It's, it's not that far. So, we'll have one then. We will also have one in December. The date for your diary is the 28th of October. So please keep that. And we will release, as usual, the the Jitsi address near the time. Yes, of course. Uh, and just a quick shout out that by the time that pod crawl happens, uh, we will have another adult in the house. Ooh. As my eldest will be 18. Uh-huh. I was going to say, not 21 yet, surely. Okay, 18. No. <laughs> right then. So if you want to get a hold of us, then please email the show, tuxjam at otherside.network. If you want to get a hold of me, then I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. There's only one way to get a hold of me these days. Telegram. I'm at Kevy49. Anything uh, else is pretty much dead. I'm not I'm not a Mastodon. I'm not on Twitter. Yes, I have the account here, but I'm not on them at all. So, so Dave, how do people get a hold of yourself? Yeah, you can reach me on Mastodon. Uh, I'm the lovebug at mastodon.me.uk. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, but I wouldn't bother, to be fair. And the less said about, about Facebook, the better. Hmm. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Uh, well, I'm McNallu everywhere. Like Kevy, I'm less active in various social media compared to past times. But I'm still there. I'm still on Twitter as McNallu, and I'm still on the same Mastodon server that Dave just mentioned uh, as McNallu. And if you see McNallu on the internet, that'll probably be me. Yes, that's it. So please do reach out for us, even just just to say hello. You know, we don't have enough to discuss the show, but uh, if you do have any feedback for us, if you think uh, any issues, the only thing we would say is, yeah, please don't comment on Andrew's uh, microphone issues. We know about those. <laughs> He's been <laughs> yes, fighting so them for the last wee while. <laughs> yes, well, I I did warn, uh, you know, fair warning. I said my batteries and my earbuds are going to run out. I didn't realise it would cause this problem. <laughs> That's a bit of a shame, but. Uh, no, anyway, at least you're still able to communicate with us, uh, albeit not in the good quality that you were. Let's sign you off with a wee bit of cheerfulness because no doubt we've near put you to sleep, so we're going to wake you right up. And again, jazzy, two jazz things in one night. This is Lance Gerard Loisel uh, with their rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In. So until next time, it's a goodbye from me. And this is a goodbye with somewhat poor audio quality from me. And if you can't be careful, run. Run fast.
You've been listening to a member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Find more about our shows at otherside.network. <laughs>